You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Kurt Nelson is in his 13th season as the director of the Royals Hall of Fame. Nelson spearheaded the development of the Hall of Fame, which debuted on July 17, 2009. He is Kansas City's foremost expert on the Royals, and he's been with the club for 23 years in a variety of roles. Royals Hall of Fame is one of the best in baseball because of the breadth and depth of the exhibits and because of Kurt's leadership. Recently, the senior curator for the National Baseball Hall of Fame told me how impressed he was with the Royals Hall of Fame just beyond the bullpen in left field. Kurt received his bachelor's in business administration from the University of Oklahoma in 1990. We're not going to ask him about his opinion of OU's move to the SEC, but he holds a master's degrees, uh, actually two, in um, business administration and education sports administration, both from the University of Missouri. So, Kurt, welcome to Sports Connections. Thanks for having me, David. All right. Well, you've been involved with the Royals Hall of Fame since the very first discussions about it. How did you get to be involved in it? Yeah, you know, that's a, it's it's an interesting story because I did not start with the Royals sort of in the, of course, this rule didn't exist before then. You know, the Royals Hall of Fame has existed since 1986 as far as inducting players. And right. it was sort of a, a development of uh, that uh, the founded the founding, I'll call them the founding fathers and mothers of the Royals that, uh, you know, after we won our first World Series title in 85, they looked back on the history of the franchise to that moment and said, you know, we've had players that have played an entire career here now and have done some really spectacular things. And uh, we should go ahead and start our own Hall of Fame. So that's when the Royals Hall of Fame started. Now, when we got into the renovation process for the ballpark, in that sort of uh, 2006, 2007 timeframe, there was always a portion of that renovation project that was going to be taking what was a concourse display, which was the Royals Hall of Fame and, and, and having a physical place where we could tell a little bit more story. And uh, so that's how that particular came part came about. And when we got into that process, I had been in the marketing department for over a decade at that point. And I sort of got to be known around the ballpark as the guy that knew too much about Royals history, right? <laughs> so it would be like, I don't know, go ask Kurt, he might know. Yeah. And so that's sort of how that evolved. Ownership came to me at that time. I had, I'd sort of worked my way up in marketing, starting as a seasonal person. I was director of marketing and they said, you know, we're going to go through this renovation process. We're going to have a physical building. And so we want to do a little bit more with history and and. The, the ball club from that perspective. And that I was very honored. They said, we can't think of anybody on staff that would be any better in that role than you. And I was very honored by that because I grew up with this team. It's always been my team. I wasn't, I wasn't born in Kansas city, but, uh, but the Royals have always been my team. And um, so I was, I was happy to take on that role because Though I still have marketing blood that courses through me, as I tell my marketing teammates here, uh, you know, the Royals history, uh, baseball history, really, and and other portions of history. I've always been an amateur sort of historian and and love that uh, particular subject. So when you get into the areas of things I really love, like baseball and specifically Royals baseball, then it's it's really a labor of love. So it's been it's just been a tremendous honor and privilege that I get to do this every day 
to uh, go around and be the royal, the, the lead geek in, in Royals history is, is quite the role to have. I, I know that, you know, when I'm watching games, often they'll be talking about someone, you know, from the 1970s or, or way back there. And, and they'll say, Oh, just got a text from Kurt Nelson. And he says it was so-and-so who did it against such and such. And the count was, you know, two and one, and there were two outs and there was runners on second and third. And it's like, okay, we, if Kurt says it, it's fine. It, it's a done deal. So, um, and I remember, you know, you mentioned that the Royals hall of fame has existed, just not in physical structure. It, it used to be across the concourse area. You know, one of the areas where you'd come in from the, from the outside, from the best um, concession stand where they had chili cheese tots. And I'd be standing in line. It was the only place in the stadium where I could get my chili cheese tots. And while I was waiting, I'd go over there and look at the 85 trophy and, and things like that. So uh, it's good to know that it got a, a, a more permanent home than that. What, what attracted you? You said the team approached you, but what was it that attracted you to the concept of a team specific hall of fame? Well, you know, I built off the the foundation that other people provided. Like I said, the the sort of founding fathers and mothers of the Royals had already set in in motion this idea that the the franchise had had en enough history in which we had had these people uh, both on the field and off that had made such great contributions to what is a, a really a storied history of mm -hmm. you know an, an expansion franchise that's really done some amazing things. And um, so that, that sort of inspired me as I wanted to be able to, to do that because it's in, in large way, it's, it's my history in baseball too. I always tell sure. you, know, from the time I knew what baseball was and that I liked it uh, until I was a senior in high school, which would have been the 1985 team. I, I knew nothing. The Royals were my team and I had this, incredible gift uh, from a baseball fan perspective, a young baseball fan perspective of having this team full of these characters and great players. And, and uh, so that, that whole level of uh, fandom and, and passion for it was all driven by, by all these people that, and, and I'm, I'm thankful to them every single day for it because I, I am, I'm living out this. So it was it was wanting to tell that story. Um, so I was always tell, especially the 1980 team is the team that lives in my heart. And uh, I always tell people about how special I think. And anytime I run across that, they're probably tired of me by now. But any anytime <laughs> I go across a guy that was on that 80 team, I'm always telling them how important that team is. And, you know, it sounds sort of ridiculous because it's a baseball team and everything, but it's really foundational in my life, at least for me. I mean, it's it's a very personal thing. It's like it's that's the team that, you know, I'd, I was already a Royals fan. But I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, love and you know, hard fall in love with a baseball team and, and an organization or whatever, the 80 team was was that for me. So I carry them with me all the time and the 12 year old me is still crying about game five of the 1985 uh, 1980 world series here in this ballpark and uh so there's that so i i always had this foundation of uh i always tell people i want people to love the kansas city royals as much as i do and uh 
that's it's because I just think it's it's such a wonderful thing to have is a, a passion about something. Sports is the the least important, most important thing. Right. Yeah. So it's yes. it's it's really we, we found out, especially in the last year and things, it's like it has its place and it's not at the top of the list. But when all these other things, when life is going well, it can become the most important thing in a fun way. And uh, and it's always been that for me in my life. So it's always wanting to to imbue people, the people that live that with me to make sure that they can sort of have a place where that that repository of those memories are. And the people that weren't there that we can explain to them about the the team and the organization that that they're following has this this history and then we have the the of course the shared history when you cross the generations which baseball is wonderful about the crossing the generations so it's 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 that and then the other thing that i find in when when i got involved in this process that i knew some of but over the course of the last decade plus i've learned more and i i I like to soak it up like a sponge because I love it so much is that the history of baseball in Kansas city. And I tell people all the time is I know at different times, especially when we're not performing well, we're not delivering on the field that people lose track of this, but I will say this with every fiber of my being. And I know I get caught from some people uh, who, who don't necessarily agree with me. And I would just, just, friendly say that I'm right and they're wrong in this particular case <laughs> is Kansas city is fundamentally a baseball town always has been always will be. I, I always like to point out that we had major league baseball, not just professional baseball, but major league baseball, the union association, which is considered a major league in this town before the place had its name. That's how long Baseball has been a key integral part of this community. So we didn't officially become Kansas City until 1889, but we had Major League Baseball before that. And uh, so it's always been this key part of Kansas City. And I always so I it would this the Royals Hall of Fame was also an opportunity to sort of tell that story because we we as I always say, we don't we like to make sure that people realize that we don't think that baseball was invented in 1969. And certainly Kansas city baseball wasn't invented in 1969. We were gifted this tremendous uh, fertile ground for baseball that had and tremendous history in baseball that Kansas city of which the Royals are the most recent and an ongoing chapter that hopefully is worthy of all that came before us. We still have a couple of decades to catch up to be Kansas City's, you know, longest tenured home team. Um, and I will we'll eventually get there. We'll, we'll, we'll pass the, the blues as Kansas City's longest tenured home team. But um, but but it's that, too, to be able to tell some of that story about everything that has come before. And that's really been fun for me because there's so many interesting characters and people and teams and ballparks and that uh, that I want people to, to, to know more and more about. And this 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 role has given me an opportunity to at least do that in in uh, in some ways. And I'm always looking to do more. So do you learn stuff in your role? Do you learn things about baseball history on a regular basis? Oh, sure. It's fun. It's fun to I always say it's going down a rabbit hole. Sometimes 
I'll go, I'll go researching something in particular, and then I'll get caught up. I'll, I'll find something in, in a news, a contemporaneous news story or something. And I'll just immediately, it'll turn me on to some other story that I wasn't even looking at. And I've found those in Royals history. So you find these little tidbits. It's like, what, what, what the heck is going on with that? And so you can look back and find uh, contemporaneous news stories or something and try to uncover um, what the heck was going on and why that came about. So there's, 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 there are those things. And then there's, there's just these interesting, you know, we were able to, this is one that everybody knows about at least to some level. Uh, but it was one of the one of my favorite things in the almost quarter of a century I've been working for the Royals. One of the one of my favorite projects that we worked on, and uh, and you got to meet Tom because Tom was here for part of it from the National Baseball Hall of Fame is bringing Satchel Paige's plaque to Kansas City. Now that was something that uh, that I was able to play a part in and sort of help get rolling. And uh, just just one of the greatest projects I've ever worn. And it was small. It was only here for a couple of days. And I was I was trying to find any way to to make more people aware of it because I yeah. just thought it was such a special thing. That plaque had not left the wall in the 50 years. And we were celebrating the 50 year mark of Satch's uh, induction into the Hall of Fame. And it had not left the wall in Cooperstown since it was installed. And its first trip, of course, would be. Uh, home to to Kansas City where where Satchel you know Satchel decided Satchel chose Kansas City as his home you know he wasn't he wasn't from here either but right. he chose this as his home and uh and he's such a key player in in baseball history not only Kansas City baseball history but baseball history so that was one of the the fun projects so that's a long-winded talking about what I what I like about the the job yeah. or what is is the idea that I've I've been able to delve into these other things that are that are Kansas City baseball related of which uh, like I said Everybody, I, I think most people at the Royals and certainly if they come across me is always trying to be cognizant of the fact that we are in a very advantageous place to be able to do this because uh, Kansas City has such a great baseball history that preceded us and we need to live up to it. How much of the museum of the Royals Hall of Fame is non-Royal stuff, but baseball stuff or Kansas City baseball stuff? So we have when you when you first come into the Royals Hall of Fame, we have the giant ashwood wall that has all these headlines and and uh, bills from uh, different events and in, uh, in Kansas City baseball history. Now, a lot of them are from Royals history, but a lot on the main uh, original part of it covers that Kansas City baseball history going all the way back to 1884 professional baseball in Kansas City. Right. I would always I always mention that the antelopes amateur team sort of famous amateur team was actually here before the unions so that they go back to right after the civil war but on that ashwood wall we sort of cover that history of the 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 unions and the the blues and their various incarnations of which two versions of them are still playing and uh, and the blue stockings who were here briefly but have an interesting story to tell as do the packers uh, very briefly, but very interesting two years, two seasons that they played in Kansas City. And then, of course, the Monarchs and the A's 
uh, or the athletics, as I, I always uh, I, I just caught myself there because they they were never truly the A's in Kansas City. They were always the athletics. Uh, they did not become the A's. If you look at the the Oakland uniforms now, we're we're used to seeing the A with the apostrophe S. The apostrophe S never appeared in Philadelphia nor Kansas City. The apostrophe S comes in. So they didn't really become the A's until they moved to, to Oakland. That's that's Kurt being pedantic. But uh, <laughs> but it's it, so so there. So you can learn some history, Kansas City baseball history from that wall itself. Then we have what we call the predecessor team panels, which sort okay. of lead you in to the gallery space which is sort of an idea of we're leading it. If you were walking along a timeline that would walk you along the timeline to 1969. And then once you jump into the, the gallery, it's Royals history and it's 1969 to the present. Now, occasionally we'll put up exhibits inside of there that are, that are outside the, the scope of Royals history, but have to do either with baseball history or Kansas city history or some connection between the two. And so we always tell we always tell a Jackie Robinson story, usually around April 15th when Jackie yeah. Robinson Day is coming up. And uh, that's always great. And the terminology on that, this is where I can be pedantic again, because uh, uh, John Thorne, the, the official historian of Major League Baseball, told me I was being pedantic when I when I asked was talking to him about this, which I told him, I think, was a tremendous compliment being called uh, that that from John Thorne, but it's an interesting distinction, I think, because the the uh, the terminology changes. We used to say that uh, Jackie Robinson made his major league debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers on April fifteenth, nineteen forty seven, but that's not true anymore. He made his major league debut with the Kansas City Monarchs in nineteen forty five. Yes, because that particular era of uh, of the Negro National League now has is considered major league so the terminology has changed so we can now claim jackie robinson's major league debut in a kansas city kansas city uh uniform so it's so how does that how does that description have to change he made his white major league <laughs> i mean what's the, what's the proper terminology well that's what john was saying it's like we you can get caught up in these terminologies so it's like when when it happened, it would have been considered his major league debut. So is it all right to still call it his major league debut? We can sit there and debate that. I would say that uh, I call it his national league debut, which is, which would be true. And then there's some other terminologies that you could use. It's like, um, you know, breaking the color barrier and then in the national, in the, in the, uh, um, at the time, major leagues, you can make that sort of designation at the time or uh, and which and then opens up the opportunity to talk about the fact that yes. now the Negro leagues are accepted as major league. And I think that's the that's an important distinction, because when you make those distinctions, instead of worrying about them is to make them. And then it is an entree into telling the story yeah. even more fully. So I think that's that's the the sort of uh, avenue I would like to to go down when I when I talk about it is to use it as a as the, the cliche says a teaching moment, but and which it can be that, but also sort of sort of a storytelling moment as well. Our our mutual friend Bob Kendrick told me one time, and and he and I share a, this same all time favorite athlete, and that's Hank Aaron. And we were talking about Hank 
uh, it was right, actually right before he passed away, but we're talking about him and, and he made two comments about it. One, that baseball is different from any other sport in that uh, your favorite player growing up remains your favorite player when you're an adult. And the second thing he talked about, Hank Aaron, he said in all his years, first as a, you know, a volunteer and then as a member of the board with the Negro Leagues in, in the last however many, you know, 10, 12 years as the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, the only time he was ever nervous giving a tour was when he gave one to Hank Aaron. So you talked about the 1980 team. You know, you were 12 years old when, when they reached the World Series for the first time. Um, when any of those players, when, when you know, uh, pick a player, you know, who, who, who was part of that uh, 80 team, uh, when they come to visit the museum, do you get a little bit, you know, antsy, a little bit nervous? Like, okay, these are my boyhood heroes. Or have you been doing this long enough that you're you're like, okay, this is why we're here. It's interesting. I always tell people it's uh, so I have this very fortunate in the fact that I know some of them now. So I'm yeah. not going to say I'm like best friends with them, but I mean, I know they know me and I know them. And uh, so and and of course, some of those guys live a lot of them, a good number of them live in Kansas city. So I see them quite often. And, uh, so I'm, I'm used to seeing them, but yes, it's like every, every time I see like yesterday, I saw Willie Akins and I talked to Willie Akins and Willie was on that. And we, you know, Willie had the two, two home run games in the world series. And had we been able to hold on to some leads in that would be a world series MVP. Yeah. And, uh, and then you have uh, Duke Wathen, one of the best people there is in the world. And uh, so, and I got to know him pretty well. And uh, and Frank, you know, Frank was here at the ballpark last night at an event. And uh, and it's great fun to just know that, you know, that, hey, that's Frank White and yeah. uh, and converse with Frank. And then there's, of course, George. George is sort of a different character altogether for me, I always like to explain it this way is the George Brett of 1980 is like some sort of superhero from a comic book. And he's still that George Brett still lives in my brain. Right. So that George Brett is still there. And I, the 12 year old me is still in awe of him. And the, you know, the first time I ever really met him and like when my grandfather took me to spring training in like 1982 or something and, and, uh, Oh, there's George Brett. And, um, and then the George that I know now, George, who's been so gracious and kind to me over the years, anytime I've needed any, and I try not to impose on any of these guys, except when, when really necessary or when I really need something. And George has been tremendous over the years you know we have it the 3000 hit bat is upstairs and all that sort of stuff uh he the, his first hit baseball uh i remember i i went to his house one day when we were working on this project and he said he had some stuff and i went over there and he starts handing off to me you know his first hit baseball his mvp award from the 1985 alcs and these sort of things and and I told him I walked out of his house and I got in my car and I was driving, you know, down the street. And I, I was just started thinking, it's like the 12 year old me would be astounded <laughs> I was just at George Brett's house. And he like handed me his first hit baseball and just let me drive away. Yeah. Uh, 
so he's always been great and um and you know so he's george now to me he's still george brett right so anytime i see him but he's still he's he's george as i can convert he he knows me and i can we 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 talk when we when we run across each other or i can call on him if i need something and i always say this so there's two that's two different that's two different things the the george brett superhero still lives in my in my imagination and then the george that i know is this guy that's been fantastic to me and i appreciate him uh for all of that so he's and sort of all of them sort of fit in there leo's another one i got i've gotten to know leo a lot because we've been around each other quite a bit and i always enjoy talking with him he's such a he's such a fun dude to talk with and um I wish I'd gotten to know Dan because Dan was, I, I, I only got to meet Dan a, a couple of times and this was, unfortunately he passed away right before I started working here. And uh, he's one that I really wish, because I think we would have been simpatico on so many things yeah. because of, of the, the, the person that he was. And I wish I would have known him a little bit more, but yeah, that team's, like I said, that team really means a lot to me. So the idea that I've, been able to know some of the guys on that team. And that would go on to the broadcasters too, because that's your connection to them, right? So the idea that Denny Matthews is someone I can call and and converse and sit with is tremendous. And then Fred, Fred was, I, I, got, I got to know Fred really well, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I got to, I got to, uh, I got to see Fred really the the day he passed i got to spend some time with fred and it was the one of the most special things that you know that uh that i've ever been able to do and and he was so good to me and i miss him so much because he did not get to i would have loved to have lived through that second era of royals championships with both he and split because split was great to me too and uh so you miss those sort of there, there's some stuff that I, I I feel like the timing just wasn't right on on some of that and that I wish I knew more. Mr. K and Mrs. K the same. I, I met them a couple of times as a fan, but, you know, they were they had passed by the t- by the time I was working here. So there's some sort of but but I've been so uh, thankful that, that, that I'm. I've, I've been here so long. I still feel like I'm the new guy. And it's, it's hard for me to believe that people look at me now. It's like, Oh, he's the, he's the long, he's been here a long time. And he's the Royals history guy. I share this with Ryan because Ryan, me and Ryan came to the Royals in the same year, 1999. And people look at him and he's like, you know, Denny is the voice of the Royals, of course, but, but Ryan is right there. People associate Ryan with the Royals and, and uh, in a different way, people associate me with the Royals. And I, I've had this discussion with Ryan before. It's like, if we could go back to the 1999 versions of ourselves and talk about how people would view us as like the establishment of the Royals or whatever. <laughs> but in, in 99, there were still quite a few people who were, as I call them, the founding fathers and mothers of the Royals that were still here. And uh and I'm thankful that I sort of crossed paths with them because there were a lot of them that were still here, uh, people that were here from the very beginning or, or not long after. And, uh, and I got to be sort of teammates of theirs. And I sort of view my role now as in a similar vein 
uh, a lot of younger people and people that I've come into the Royals in the last 10 years, I like to hope that I'm sort of that same sort of connection that they'll have. And uh, it's, it's, it's all a matter of stewardship. It's one of my favorite words. It's like the, the baseball team is Mr. K views it this way. Mr. Mr. Glass viewed it this way in his family. And Mr. Sherman talks about it all the time. And that it's, it's very heartening for me because it's this stewardship. It's like, it's not mine. Mr. K said it at the very beginning, this team is not mine. It's Kansas city's. And his idea was, we'll we'll keep this and we'll make it as good as we can. And then we'll hand it off to somebody else who will try to do the same thing. And then they'll hand it off to somebody else. It is sort of, it's a business. There's no question it's a business, but it's also a community asset. And, uh, and it's to be mindful of that. So uh, it's such a privilege to be able to be a part of it. You, you've mentioned two people that, and I was actually telling this story earlier today to some people that aren't big sports fans, but they knew of Fred White or they knew Fred and you know they, they know of Ryan Lefevre. Um, I had Ryan on the podcast earlier this year and he gives, he said, if it were not for Fred White, I would have lasted two or three years as the Royals, you know, most recent play-by-play boys. But he said the day he got hired, Fred, and Fred was moved out to make room for Ryan. He said he got a call from Fred White saying, tell me how I can help you. And Fred was such a class person that he and Ryan became very close friends because Ryan appreciated how, how Fred treated him and Fred treated everybody that well, you know, I got to know him pretty well as well. And, and, you know, they ended up broadcasting some games together and they got along perfectly because they had mutual respect for each other, but it's, it really does go back to that stewardship thing. Neither one of them felt like they were the story. They felt like they were the conduit to the fan to tell the story. And I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's what the Royals Hall of Fame does is you, you guys aren't the story. The Hall of Fame is not the story telling the story of Kansas City baseball, specifically the Royals. That's w- what you are. Yes, that's the our, our whole goal is to be able to uh, to tell the history of the Kansas City Royals. And it's been it's been over half a century now. So uh, that it's hard for me to believe that it's been over half a century. I wish I could remember the, you know, I, 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 I joke with people that uh, the Royals were born in January of 1968 when Mr. And Mrs. K were officially awarded the franchise. And I was born on February 16th, 1968. So I always tell people, if you want to know how the, old the Royals are, this is how old the Royals are. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, uh, it is that, and, and it's lived his, so it's lived history for me. Yeah. And, um, and, and so it, it's obviously very important to me and it's very, it's been a, I always, I, I've told people, it's like, I can mark the passage of time in my life, happy yeah. moments, sad moments, you know, all this. And, and usually there's some sort of, I can tie some sort of event to the Royals because you're, you're either extremely excited and uh, tie, tie it some way to the Royals, or it was a, it was a low moment for you. And there was some, some moment for the Royals that helped you sort of get through it or, or is tied to that moment that will, that will stay with you. 
So it's yeah. that sort of thing about the the history of a baseball team that I think is important to be able to to share with people. So we have this like 50 year history to be able to do that. The other thing that I always like to do is um, so I like I, I always so history happens every day. It's just we don't view it as history. Once it passes, we view it. Oh, that's that's history. But it happened in a moment. It happened in a moment in time. So I, it's like I always there's this. I'll show you something here. So the other day, Salvi hit a ball into the fountains, which was his 40, 41st home run of the year, but it was his 22nd home run at home, which was the most in Royals history. No other player had ever hit 22 home runs at home in a single season. He broke a record of 21 that was held by Chili Davis, Dean Palmer, and Jorge Soler. It all hit 21, but 22 went into the drink with Salvador Perez. And here it is. <laughs> and so it's th that happened to be at the last game of a homestand. So we didn't get it up on display immediately. But if we can, it's one of my favorite moments is if something happens one night or one afternoon yeah. and we know it's a moment in, in Royals history or something very significant, we can have artifacts up for it before people walk into the museum the next time. And that's really one of the fun things to be able to show. And it also informs young people, especially uh, the idea that, yes, there's a lot of history in here and it goes back before you were born or remember. Uh, but here's something that you'll remember, too. And that's part of history, too. You watch this happen. You know who Salvador Perez Go is. Go watch the game. You're going to see history tonight. That's right. You might not know who Daryl Porter is. But you, you know who Salvador Perez is. And uh, so it's so, sort of tying those sorts of things together for different generations and everything. It's one of the great joys of going through the, the Hall of Fame, the, the gallery space and, and hearing people talk about it. And that, that's why I view there sometimes it's we we didn't really have very many at the beginning of like artifacts. There yeah. weren't very many pieces of Royals history. And uh, so we've tried to be conscious over the years that, that we've been doing this is to take in as, as many artifacts as we can, because I think they humanize the story. Yeah. They humanize the story. And uh, I always use the, there's two examples that I always use of this, that from American history that I, that always sort of expanded the mind of the young Kurt Nelson, the, the, the kid Kurt is I don't know, I must have been six years old, six or seven years old. We went to Springfield, Missouri. I mean, Springfield, uh, Illinois. We went to Springfield, Illinois once, and we went to Abraham Lincoln's house. And you gotta, if you think about these things, it's like Abraham Lincoln is like this character that you read about, or he's in marble and he's a, he's a statue or whatever. But when the six-year-old, seven-year-old me went into that house, it starts to humanize you, right? It's like, oh, there's a chair and there's a bed and there's the chamber pot, which to a kid is funny. And uh, the, the outhouse and the, the kitchen and, the, and it, it gives scale to, to the human beings that they were, they were, he was a human being with a wife and kids and a dog and all, the, all those sorts of things. And then the other one was, <clears throat> I was a little bit older, but not a whole lot older. And you go to, um, I was at the Smithsonian, the American History Museum, 
And George Washington's Continental Army uniform is like right there behind, it's like within six inches of my hand behind a piece of glass. And you can sort of get the scope. Oh, he was, he was this big. And, and so that's, that's why I sometimes get caught up on artifacts because I really want people to be able to identify with these artifacts. And, and in a baseball perspective, some of it's equipment. So it doesn't give you that size of scope necessarily, but it does give the idea of, you know, the, the people were holding the bat and throwing the ball and wearing the glove and, and all that sort of stuff. It sort of brings it to life. I still need to, you and I have talked for 10 years that I've got to, a baseball autograph by every member of the 85 Royals. I still need to get that to you, whether I can give it, whether I can release it and give it to you permanently or just loan it to you. I still need to bring that over someday. And, and I'll, I promise to do that. You know, you, you talked Kurt about, and obviously it's true with baseball. That's your context. I think it's true with sports in general, that if we're big sports fans, we can contextualize life in what's going on with sports. And you talked about, Game five of the 1980 World Series and how that would that makes you cry. That makes me cry in a different way because my wife and I were. Uh, it was the weekend we got engaged. Uh, I was a senior in college, and um, I came. I came to Kansas City. I was in college in Michigan. Came to Kansas City to propose to her. Was pleased and and was a little surprised. She said yes. <laughs> and that, that following, that was on a Saturday, on, on Sunday night, we went to a fellowship dinner at her church, and I was getting ready to fly out Monday morning, and we're watching game five of the World Series, and it's a tense game, and I looked over at her, and she knew how big a sports fan I was, and I said, this is really important to me, but it really doesn't matter. I made so many points. I've carried those points with me for 40-plus years, you know. I made point, but I can remember what day of the week it was that we got engaged and, and what day of the week game five of the world series was because I was there with my fiance. And as much as I love baseball, it paled in comparison. So I think you're right that we can contextualize life based on what happened uh, in sports. Let's talk, let's talk about the national baseball hall of fame. Um, I'm sure you've been there. How many times have you been there? I've been there twice and I need to go more. Like I was yeah. telling Tom and, and, and John Shestakovsky, who was here, it was, it was hall of fame week when the page plaque was here. Cause we had two, two people from the hall of fame over the course of that week that were here. And I've been there. I've been there twice. I always said that the first time I would go to Cooperstown was the day that George Brett was inducted into the hall of fame. Now, that happened in 1999 and 1999 was my first year working for the Royals. So I gave myself dispensation. It's like, I can't go because I'm in the first year working for somebody. And I can't just say I'm taking in baseball. You can't just take a week in July yeah. and say, I'm not coming in, uh, especially when the team is home. So I gave myself this dispensation for that. I did not go there. I do remember here that particular day we were playing the Oakland A's and it was a Kansas city summer and it was extremely hot. I think it might've been 103 degrees that day, but we were able to show George's speech because our game was a little bit later and we were able to show George's speech inside the ballpark, which was, which was a great day. But then the other days that I, so I went there when, when this project started with the Royals hall of fame, when, when I was asked to do that, I said, 
one thing I'd like to do is go to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And the, the powers that be here said, sure, go. Yeah. And uh, so I went and it was the first I got to see. It was a great trip. I went by myself. So there's positives and negatives of traveling by yourself. One is you're just on your own schedule. And so that's a positive. You just do whatever you want. The bad part is you're not really sharing anything with anybody. You're just, you're just. Yeah. You keep turning to your right or your left and say, Oh, there's nobody there. It's all (laughs) just you. Uh, But I was able to go to uh, Yankee stadium Two. It was the last year of Yankee stadium Two, the renovated uh, ballpark where, um, where it's speaking of the 1980 team, I did specifically go my last time, the last game I was there for that. Uh, I did go right up into the third deck, right up to where George Brett's home run went. Cause I wanted to stand there right in that spot. And so I did that. That's another tie to the 80 team. That's my tie to the 80 team. When I was in that ballpark, it's like, I got to climb all the way up into the third deck and sort of stand where I think George's home run landed. But I was there. And then I went to the Hall of Fame uh, from there. So I drove up to Cooperstown, uh, which is nowhere near New York City. Yeah. It is in the state of New York, but it's nowhere near New York City. And it's that nowhere near anything. <laughs> it's not. It, it's in the middle. It, it's it's both. It's positive and negative. Is it's yep. in the middle of nowhere. It's like this bucolic little. I I always tell people I feel like I'm either walking into a Norman Rockwell painting or on the set of a movie yep. when I go there because it's so picturesque and everything seems so Americana perfect. And uh, so I went there. And I'll always be thankful to Jeff Idelson, who has been back as the interim president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame, because he was sort of the president of the Hall of Fame was sort of my contact. And he had mentioned, he goes, drive up. And when you arrive, give me a call and uh, and I'll take you out for dinner. So I got there to Cooperstown and I called him up and and he said, you know, I've just spent a long day in Albany at some something in Albany or whatever. And he goes, uh, too tired to go out to dinner. He goes, why don't you just come over to my house and we'll have dinner here. And so I always say the first thing that I ever w- did in Cooperstown was went to the president of the Hall of Fame's house and had dinner. So that, <laughs> that's a pretty good entree into yes. and, and, and into who Jeff Idelson is, that he would just invite this sort of random guy from Kansas City over to his house uh, for dinner. And so it was sort of, I got to, you know, a full behind the scenes. Both of my times in, in Cooperstown has sort of been full behind the scenes. Um, and, and now that I have sort of friends there, I don't think I'll ever visit Cooperstown without being it, it being sort of the, the full behind the scenes tour, which I'm very thankful for because it's a fantastic place. And, uh, and I love being there. And I was telling Tom and, uh, and John that I, I really need to try to get back up there again. Tom gave me, um, I think it's fair to say, he gave me a lot of grief because um, I, I lived in New York uh, from 1969 through, uh, I mean, I went, went away to college, but through 1984. Um, and I went to Cooperstown uh, in the spring of 1972. And that's the last time I've been there. And he, and he was like, well, okay, you're a big baseball fan. Why has it been 49 years? I said, well, first of all, it's a lot harder to drive there from Kansas city than it is yes. from Monroe, which is near West point, uh, which is where I live first. And, you know, I just, it's just hard to get there, but I definitely want to go back. And he pretty much called me on the carpet to say, I need to, 
I need to go back there. So, um, it, but it's, it's just, I agree with you. It's just such an idyllic place. Uh, you can go there. It's like the Smithsonian. You could go there 10 days in a row and learn something different uh, every single day. And, and that's what I'm guessing uh, you're trying to do with the Royals Hall of Fame is teach people something different every time they go through it. Yeah, that's it's to, you know, people ask, how long does it take to go through the Royals Hall of Fame? And I always tell them you can go through in 10 minutes. Uh, if you want to read every story and watch every video, you could be in there for four or five hours or more. It's 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 a matter of what you want to do. And the same same thing's true of the, the National Baseball Hall of Fame in, in Cooperstown. It's like, it, you know, you can mull your way through it in in an hour or two or you can spend an entire weekend there yeah. and go each day and and might not see or take in absolutely everything that that is there. So, uh, but it, and, and sort of your concept behind it is the idea that I want to try to tell is in, in, in the limited space we have 7,000 square feet about is to tell as much story as we possibly can. Right. So, uh, if somebody does, if somebody does want to take in and read your story and, and, and read everything that it's there for them. And, uh, if somebody wants to breeze through that, there's things for them for them as well. It's, you can breeze through and, and see a couple of highlights or something that really catches your eye and be able to go through, uh, you know, there's big things like world series trophies. A lot of people like to see them and who wouldn't want to see them. Yeah. Uh, and you can just go quickly through there. If you, if, if that's what you want to see and see those, but if you want to know more about it, there's even more stuff about that, those two world series. And you can learn more about those. If you, if you don't know chapter and verse on them, which a lot of Cardinal fans don't know chapter and verse on the 85. <laughs> they know them. They just don't want to talk about them. So, <laughs> all right. Speaking of limited space, we're, we're running out of time here and I do appreciate your time very much. Uh, real quick. Uh, what are the hours during the season and during the off season? And what is the cost of admission? So if you're coming to the ballpark and you're coming to a, a Royals game, once the gates open to the ballpark, the Royals Hall of Fame is open to everybody inside the ballpark. So you can come in at any time. We open when the ballpark gates open to the public. And we stay open until the top of the eighth inning. Okay. We close at the top of the eighth inning. So if you're inside by the top of the eighth inning, uh, that's when the, the doors will usually close for the Hall of Fame. Now, outside of that, uh, when we're doing tours of the ballpark, which is still limited, we haven't gotten back to our full capacity of, of – of days and, and number of tours and where we can go. And we don't do any tours on game days because we sort of are still trying to be very mindful of protocols and everything. And, and uh, when, when the players are, uh, are here, uh, we, don't, we don't really want to put any in, in jeopardy of any of the protocols and that sort of thing. So we don't do tours on game days. But uh, other days we do tours and the hall of fame is part of, part of a coffin stadium tour. So you would come through the hall of fame. You would spend at least some time in the hall of fame on those particular days. And then in the off season, we'll see uh, interesting. We, we usually in a normal year, we would be do, doing tours uh, scheduled tours every Saturday during the off season. And then we would do them by appointment uh, okay. at any other time during the off season. 
And that's sort of, we'll, we'll see how the, the off season unfolds here, but that's sort of how it is. So, so if it's not a game, then it would be a Coffin Stadium tour would be how you would go through the Royals Hall of Fame. Okay. Is there a cost to get in? There is. And right now we only have one tour, uh, which, uh, which has a cost to it. It's got a, uh, I think it's, I, I hate to say this. I don't remember what it is. I think it's like $18 or something in that range. And there's a kid's price and a senior's price as well. And we do group tours as well. So there you can get a discount with a, with a larger, a larger group. And, uh, so that's, uh, we usually had t- in a normal time, we would have sort of tiers of tours, at least about three tiers of tours that would take you into some other places. But right now in this particular environment where it's, 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 we're, we're a one size fits all. And, uh, and we'll see, we'd, we'd like to get back to doing a little bit, a little bit more, but that's, that's sort of an overview of tours. And of course you can find that on the, on the, the Royals website, yeah. Uh, go to go to tours and all that information is there. You can also purchase your tickets right there. If you have the ballpark app, which if you don't have the ballpark app and you come to our ballpark or any other ballpark a lot, you should really probably install that ballpark app on your device because that's really going to help you out with discounts and and communications and and other special things. And you can just purchase things right through there, which is very convenient as well. So the, the easiest way to say it, if you're interested in touring and you're not coming to the day of a game, just check out the Royals website, royals.com or, or call the Royals. So um, I've got probably eight more questions, but I know uh, we don't have time for it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one, one of the questions that I sent you ahead of time. Can baseball become America's pastime once again without radical changes? You know, I always think it's it is America's pastime, so I'll, I'll I'll push back on the question a little bit. But I know where you're going. I know where you're going. And what what I think is interesting about our particular, uh, I don't think baseball can be as nor any sport. Although football obviously is is would be considered king now, uh, but uh, just like baseball and. And other sport, horse racing once was the biggest sport. Boxing was once the biggest sport. It's like football, and and I love football. I love the Chiefs. And and as you mentioned, I'm I'm from Oklahoma and went to the University of Oklahoma, so I'm a big college football fan as well. Is like, so it may appear as if college, football is like a juggernaut that can never be stopped. Uh, anytime you think you're a juggernaut and can never be stopped is. Uh, uh, something will come along to disabuse you of that notion. And so you have to be mindful about those things. But I, I will say this about baseball is I do think baseball is still fundamentally and intrinsic in our culture. So I don't think baseball is going anywhere, but we do face significant challenges and we have to engage um, younger people and uh and, and we really do what it's fascinating from a, from a history perspective. It's like, it's really fascinating to me that we have sort of this, uh, an African-American issue in, in baseball and the fact that we don't have as many African-Americans playing baseball. And it's, when you look back at the history of it, it's sort of mind boggling. Why, how, and there, there's some very easy whys and hows, at least what, what sort of jump out at you about, travel ball and the expense and 
whether you're playing it in school or not. And that's sort of an important thing. And, and, uh, and so the, the, and the urban youth Academy for us here with the Royals is, is a key part of that is trying to address some of those, some of those things. So I think we have to be mindful about it. And I do think the game, the game has always evolved. I have not heard Ted Simmons entire speech from his Hall of Fame induction the other day, but I know I heard a clip of it and he was right on about the idea that our game is ever evolving, right? So we look at it now and he he mentioned the three true outcomes, which I think is sort of a, a thing we talk about a lot. It's like baseball's a lot of home runs, strikeouts and walks. And, but, but it will evolve out of that. It evolved into it and it'll evolve out of that. I do think that the game needs more action and I have different ideas about how that, that should happen. And because, because I grew up in a baseball of action uh, and, and I would say even the, the most recent Royals championship team, the 15 team was a team of action, right? That's yeah. what I always say about the like three true eye that I always push back on that. It's like, the Kansas City Royals, the Kansas City Royals just won uh, in, in recent history. It hasn't been that long ago, won a World Series without hitting home run. And we didn't walk. That team did not walk. No, it did not strike out. And it did not hit home runs. We were last in the league in home runs. We, we won a World Series in five games in which we hit two home runs in which one of them did not leave the ballpark. Yeah. And we won the World Series in five games. Yeah, the first the first batter of the bottom yeah. of the first, you know, yes. inside the park home run by Alcides Escobar, who's who, so, who broke every rule in baseball by, you know, having a, a, a on base percentage around three hundred. I don't remember. You probably know the exact number, but not a high on base percentage. But he was perfect as the leadoff guy. So I understand what you're saying. It's so it's it's that so there there's both things that we need to do inside the game as far as strategies and rules and all that sort of thing. I think there are things that we need to do inside of that, but there's also some outreach things that I think are are important that we need to maintain and be able to do. I the the demise of baseball, you know the. Tales of my death have been greatly exaggerated as I think, what was it, Twain that said that? Yes. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's it's true. If you go back and, and read literature, re, read stories in sport magazine or whatever from 1903, they'll be writing about how the, the game of baseball is, you know, is is been ruined by this or that or this other thing. And it is this thing that despite the fact you know, some uh, us humans that are involved in it at different courses of its history are making mistakes or whatever. It's like the game continues on and it will continue on. But, you know, there are some things that we need to address inside of it. But I, I think it's, a, I think it's healthy. I don't think it's, it's, and uh, it is a little bit regionalized which is, which is an interesting dynamic. And some of that has to do with media and how is it the, the whole media environment is a whole nother uh, topic of what media looked like in 1980 versus what media looked like in 2020 versus what, or 2000 versus what it looks like in 2020. And each one of those iterations, we always think that this is how it's going to be. Right. 
So we think that, oh, this is how media is going to be. So this is how baseball is going to, or sports are, are going to have to respond to it. 10 years from now, it's like, or the way things run now, even five years from now, it might be completely radically different. And its influence on, on baseball could be, could be different and could be uh, both a positive and a negative or, or some of both in different ways. So I do think that baseball will always hold uh, a, a key place, whether it'll be considered the number one sport again, it's I, pr- maybe not, uh, but, maybe. but I think those, those things ebb and flow. Yeah. And, uh, and I just think that we're becoming more diverse. Everything's becoming more diverse and more specialized and everything that goes to the regionality of it. Right. So the NFL can be, whereas that's sort of the difference between college football and the NFL the NFL is sort of uh, nationalized, but that's largely driven by media, right? Whereas college football, same game, same basic game, is more regionalized. And, uh, and baseball sort of more falls in that model. The Royals are a huge thing here. But are there a lot of people watching Royals games in Los Angeles? Probably not. Yeah. But there's not a lot of people in Kansas City watching Dodger games either. And it's just a different environment that we work in and uh, and how those things might be different is is something that I think is is key to to how we address baseball in the future. But I think it's a healthy it's a healthy sport. It's a great sport to watch. It's a great sport to uh, to be a fan of. I'm obviously tremendously biased. Uh, It's it's a tremendous blessing of a sport to be involved with, especially if you're involved with a team that you really are just, uh, you know, Tommy Lasorda said he used to bleed Dodger blue. And it's like, if uh, I, I, there's uh, that I always say this way as I hope there is somebody that loves the Royals as much as I do. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody that loves them anymore, but I want them to be as I want them to be a lot of people that love them as much. And I certainly think there can be, and I think there probably are because this is there's a lot of people that that love the Royals, and uh, and we're looking forward to and it's really a, it's exciting time. It's like you know I did not get to see last night's game. We were checking the score, uh, but you know Carlos Hernandez must have been fun to watch because there yeah. were a lot of zeros up, and uh, I always I I like to point out about Carlos because he's sort of like. If you remember the last sort of iteration of championship Royals, there was this whole buildup of the greatest minor league system. And we knew a lot of those guys before they ever appeared here. And that whole group of guys that were a part of two American League pennants and a World Series title, when we were talking about them coming up, one guy that that never got brought up, uh, he did hear a little bit. People knew about him internally. But on like national list and even to a certain extent, our fans, because a lot of that comes from from uh, prospect list and things. Salvador Perez was never on any of those lists. Yeah. He was never on any of those. Nobody was paying attention to Salvador Perez. And uh, some can same can sort of be. We'll see. Salvi, you know, Salvi's uh, Salvi's a, a unique character in and of himself. But we'll see. I, I use Carlos Hernandez as sort of an example, you know. We were we've we've all sort of if you're in the Royals world, you've sort of known about Singer and and Bubich and 
and Coar and Lynch and, uh, and even Asa Lacey to a certain extent, although we haven't got to see him pitch and, and, and we've sort of known them, but here's Carlos Hernandez. It's like nobody was really paying attention yep. to that. Yep. And he's really having great success. It's a, it's the wonder of baseball, right? So it's like, I always tell people, it's like, get it, jump in now. I, I, I like to think because, because it all came true. I remember back in 2010 and 11, I would go around talking to people and I would say, you jump in because I'll, I'll, I'll use this as an example. If you were involved with the Royals or in Kansas City or liked baseball in this area and you didn't jump in to liking the Royals or following the Royals in like 1972 because you were waiting for, well, I'll wait until, prove it to me on the field that we're going to win. Well, here's a lot of things you would have missed. You would have missed the opening of a new ballpark. You would have missed an all-star game. You would have missed Frank White's debut, George Brett's debut, Dennis Leonard's debut, uh, Steve Busby throwing a couple of no-hitters. You would have missed all these things waiting for the idea of of coming on. And I'd said that back in 2010 and 11. I'd say these guys are coming. What will happen? I don't know. But if you want to get involved, it's like, once again, you have a renovated stadium. You have an all-star game you will hopefully have these debuts along the way. And then you'll have these moments that I still am am tied to decades later. And I, I like to, I, I, I know I'm feeling the same dynamic. One, it's one thing in baseball. You so you, you never know, right? Yeah. I, I never, I can't say for sure this is going to turn into pennants and world series and that sort of things. But but that sort of building process is, is kind of, I want sustained success. We all want that too. And we need to do that. But the building of it is kind of a fun thing to watch too. And, and, and if you, if you see, if you, the, the, the on-field, the major league part this year has been frustrating because it wasn't, we wanted to, to be, you know, more wins at the major league level. Every major league win is important. But if you would have gone back to the beginning of the year and said, what would make, for the an organization wide, what would make for a successful baseball season? And a lot of those would be uh, younger players come graduating to the major leagues and, and going through some knocks and having some successes and going through those sort of growing pains. And then some of the, some of our minor leaguers making progress, especially off a year in which they never play competitive ball against another team and that sort of thing. A lot of those things have happened. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Salvador Perez is within a few home runs. And by the time this airs, he may have caught Jorge Soler, but Salvi has a record for major league record for catchers for home runs for a season. You would have missed that. You yeah. know, you, you miss yeah. those sorts of, sorts of things along the way. So it's even in the times where, where the team is, is struggling on the wins. And I can tell you, it's, it's frustrating as our, 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 you know, Lodestar is to win and to win, win for, for Kansas city. So it's, it's felt here. Uh, we want to do that, but there's also these other things that are going on. It's, it's an interesting dynamic of baseball because as a chiefs fan and a football fan, it's a different dynamic, right? So you don't really have this buildup there. There is no Bobby Witt jr. Of, right. of the chiefs, right? There's, 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 there's none of this anticipation of knowing and, and seeing him sort of struggle a little bit, uh, very little, he struggled very little, yeah. but uh, he struggled a little bit uh, at the very beginning of the year and then sort of come through 
and uh, and do these great things at the AAA level and this anticipation of what it what might it be and and Nick Prado along with him who's coming off a really you know really struggled and uh, MJ Melendez who did the same and the pitchers and everything I. I'm, I'm a romantic about it. I know, but it's like <laughs> that part, that part of it is something that me as a football fan with the chiefs, it's like, I don't have that. Right. Yeah. My connection with the chiefs is the chiefs. What happens, what happens on Sunday is, is, is what happens. And right. uh, it's not that building as much of that building process, which can have, you know, can be, somewhat fun and, and fulfilling in a way, because you feel like you're, you're, you're on that inside, you got that inside scoop or whatever to know, Oh, look at it. Look at what he, look at what Bobby Witt is doing. And then, so you feel like in some ways when he makes his major league debut, you'll already have this, this greater connection to him and his success and struggles and overcoming them. And, uh, you know, that's why Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis and Salvador Perez and, Danny Duffy and we could go on and on. All those people will always be tied to the people in Kansas city. Even, you know, there's some kid out there who was 12 years old in 2014 and 15. Who's now what, what would he be 17 or 18? He or she is 17 or 18. And they're, they're going to come back in when they're 53 years old. And they're going to say, you know, that 2014 team, that's the team that that's the team that lives right here. So when yeah. they come across those guys, it's going to be the same thing. It was one of the great joys. I'm telling you, David of 2014 and 15 is to, it was great for me because I got to live it. I lived it as a fan and then I've lived it as sort of a family member inside yeah. the Royals. Tremendous. So grateful for that. But for a lot of my joy from 14 and 15, which so much joy it couldn't fit in this ballpark but uh a lot of it was coming through watching it in other people's eyes yeah especially people younger than me now because I, I already i always tell you i already had my memories i can tell you i can go through chapter and verse of game five of the or game six of the 1985 world series and people would roll their eyes at you but it's like but to see it through other people's eyes and to realize hey you know, you're 15 or 12 or whatever. Trust me, when you're 50 years old, you're going to look back and it's like, and then Salvador Perez came up and he hit this pitch. He shouldn't have even been able to hit. And he pulled it down the line and went right past Josh Donaldson. And yeah. Christian Cologne came around the play. We won the game and then we won eight straight games. And all of a sudden we were in the World Series. And they're going to tell the story that way. And they didn't realize that the reason I would tell the, the game six, 1985 story that way, even, you know, 20, 25 years on is because that's how, how much of an effect those moments can have on you. And so it was watching them and knowing that I already had my moments and now I get to share another group of moments, but these, in some ways I view them as their moments. I get to yeah. share them with them, but it's really yeah. their moments now. So there's a whole generation of Royals fans that have their moments and uh and and it was so magical and and we need to make more uh we had an, an embarrassment of riches of great moments in 14 and 15 but uh but we need to make more and and i and i think we're on our way to doing it yeah you know kurt when in after game seven of the 85 world series i put my son who was at that point two years old i put him up on my shoulders 
And we ran, we lived on a college campus at the time. And I just ran around the campus, just screaming at the top of my lungs, acting like an idiot. And he was loving it. He was giggling, not because he was excited that the Royals won. He was two. He was excited because he was riding on dad's shoulders. And he had, he was at the first game against the angels, first home game against the angels. And I remember I was standing down on the field and I was talking to George Brett. And I said, I showed him a picture of him holding my son when he was two years old. And I said, that kid is sitting up there, up in the, up in the upper deck. He saved his, saved his money. You know, he was kind of working different jobs and stuff. He saved his money to buy a ticket because he wasn't sure he'd ever see this and experience it himself. And now, you know, his first child's due any day, and he's going to be able to tell her about 2014 and 2015. So I, I agree with you 100%. I, I, Kurt, I could talk to you for three more hours. Neither of us have the time. I always like to wrap up my interviews, and maybe we'll have you back. Maybe during the offseason when you're not quite as busy, we'll have you back, and we'll do some of the other things about baseball in general. But I always like to wrap up interviews with this what is your legacy well i like to think you know that i like to be a steward of the i go back to that word because i think it's so important is because baseball and specifically royals baseball has been so integral to to my life and and my family i mean i i i have two brothers. I'm the middle child. And, uh, and I have one nephew now. And because it's been so, it, it's a, it's a connection point that I still have. Uh, I'm lucky to say that my, you know, if, if you, if you're, if you can treat your, your friends and view them as family and you can treat your family and see them as friends, mm-hmm. it's like, you are blessed. And yeah. my two brothers are not only my brothers, they're friends. Yeah. And, and it's really a connection point. It's like, a, it's almost like a daily contact about, about the Royals. So if I, if I could have a legacy, if I could be so bold as to think that I would have a legacy, it would be to have stewarded this part of Royals history and to try to internalize some of these things and hopefully be able to transmit them to other people. So it's sort of the, ignite the, or maintain the fire of this passion for, for baseball in Kansas city and Royals baseball specifically. And, uh, and the stories, because they're so compelling, at least I believe they are, they're so compelling is to make sure that people know what they are. Right. And it's, it's an interesting environment to be on a team that, that, like I said, it's lived history. I can almost remember all of Royals history. Um, not quite. I, you know, no. I don't know the 69 and, and I, I mean, I know it, but I didn't, I didn't witness it and internalize it. Like I sort of come in sort of in 76 ish and, and in that area. And then, like I said, the, the, like uh, the burning inferno starts in 1980 and from there on, but it's to, to maintain this idea of this continuous. So, it's to be able to hand that on. And I know I won't always be here. So I want to make sure that what happened in that time is appreciated and, and handed on to all the stories that will come after us. So that, so that the people that would follow us in these roles and, and follow us as fans would be able to 
enjoy and know where all this came from and, and where it started. And, uh, and so I, that's stewardship, the stewardship of the, the history of, of the Royal specifically and, uh, and be able to, uh, to pass that on or inform people that are joining us along the way is we want to have more people join us along the way and, and make that connection. Like I said, it's, it's a connect. It's, a, it's sort of a, it's, it's that connection. It's like, if you lived it, I want to share it with you and relive it and make sure that it, because it was so special. Right. So we all have these different connections to it. I always tell the, 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 the World Series trophy is such a dynamic, such a dynamic thing because I went on a tour with it. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you, David, I, it'll make you get emotional. But it's when we went on the, that tour and we would go different, these different places across, especially in the six sort of states in and around us, is the, the object itself sparks the memories, Right. So the object is important because it, it symbolizes. So it's important. It's not just a piece of metal. It's an important thing that symbolizes that, but it's what it gets imbued with. Right. So you remember all these things. And when you see it, uh, that all those things come flooding back to you. And it's those connections because the one thing that you, that you would find on the, on the trophy tour would be is people would bring pictures and have their picture taken with the trophy holding a picture of someone who wasn't there. And that is the sort of thing that that connect because their connection to the Royals was this person that they didn't get to experience this great moment with. And it's really prof- And in that way, it's profound. And it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation when I said that baseball sports and baseball can be the least important, most important thing, right? It's, it's not, any team winning is not really that important, you know, when you consider health and other things, but in a, in this certain area, it's the most important thing. And when you can share that with other people, it's like, that's where the, that's where the connections and that's where the magic happens. So. All right. Well, good way to wrap up, Kurt. It's always fun to visit with you. I think this is the longest we've ever sat down one-on-one, even though we're not ne- not in the same room, the longest we've ever chatted, but I always enjoy chatting with you and I look forward to future times. And I will definitely let you know when I'm bringing that 85 signed baseball with Sounds me. good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.